I thought for this morning, given that it is the uh, first day of Pesach, that I would talk about the name Pesach. And um, it is not without a little bit of, understandably so, not without a little bit of uh, varying opinions as to where and what the word comes from. And I think that there's a loop here that has something even deeper to it. Now, uh, some, accordingly to some traditions, and Rashi brings it down as well, that the word Pesach is um, a word for mercy. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with traditions that Jews from the Mediterranean basis and Middle Eastern Jews have, that in place of eating the maror, in place of eating the horseradish, they eat lettuce, particularly romaine lettuce if possible. And one of the reasons why is that the word for lettuce in Hebrew, chasa, is also a word for mercy. Uh, accordingly, also in the Talmud, the ancient rabbis say that the word Pesach is a combination of two words. Pe, mouth, and sach, which means to converse. Unquestionably, Passover is a night where we converse. But I, putting all those aside, the fact of the matter is, overwhelmingly so, both according to an English translation that is a derivative of the, of the Latin translation of the Vulgate, and also, I think, implicit in the text is where the holiday comes from. And that is the 10th plague. For those of you who follow the story or for those of you who have watched the movie, you will know that it was declared by God to Moses that a tenth plague and presumably a final plague would visit itself upon Egypt and that the angel of death would cast itself from every corner of the land and that the Israelite homes that had lamb's blood put on the doorpost, a shadow, an echo of the mezuzot that we have today, that this angel of death would pasach al batei b'nei Yisrael. It would pass over the homes of the Israelites. And in commemoration of that moment, this holiday exists. Why? Because that was the final plague. That with the deaths of the firstborn of the Egyptians, that it created the moment of the denouement, of the final breaking of the back of the Egyptians, and a pharaoh in particular. The text particularly records that a cry emerged out of the house of Pharaoh, the likes of which have not been heard, either before or since or ever after. And the obvious question that emerges from this is, how could such a terrible plague, where the deaths of the firstborn of the children of the Egyptians, how could such a terrible plague take place? First, I want to say to you, that it's critical to understand, and I appreciate the fact that people will disagree with this, of course. But I believe it is important to understand that the biblical record does not try to teach history. There is no history taking place here, history in the sense of the kind of history that you and I learned in school, where there are dates and people and locations that we had to memorize and regurgitate. 
The stories that are told in the Torah are not meant to create a story of history, but they're meant to create a story of values. They're trying to teach us something about ourselves and about life. To understand the 10th plague, we have to go back to the beginning. And the beginning of the story is a horrible, horrible story. Where the Pharaoh wakes up one day from a horrible dream and his interpreters tell him that the dream speaks to him that the Israelites are a fifth column, that there are a potential that these Israelites represent to bring down his empire and that a Messiah will be born to the Israelites, a man, a child, who will lead the Israelites out of Egypt and bring the ruin of Egypt because the Egyptians had at their hand a tremendous economic advantage. They had slaves. And those slaves were going to leave. And Egypt would collapse. So the Pharaoh does, taking a page out of what would be quoted to Joseph Stalin, the Pharaoh does the simple kind of math and says, if you get rid of the man, you get rid of the problem. And the Pharaoh decrees that all the firstborn males of the Israelites, all of the children that are born, excuse me, of the men, that they'll be put to death. Some, some traditions say that later on Pharaoh recanted by saying that not only the boys that are born, but also the girls, that all the children were to be put to death. And where were they put to death in? The tradition records in the Torah that the Israelite babies were tossed into the Nile River to drown. It's a horrible story. And that there was one child, we are told, and the Kabbalah Jewish mysticism records that Moses was born premature. He was born premature by two months. And because Moses was born so early, the Egyptians were not following his pregnant mother. And then when he was born and when he was old enough, he was placed into a basket and sent down the Nile River. And who plucks him out of the water? Pharaoh's daughter. And she, who, she knew who it was. Because what other children were floating in the river except for the Israelite children? Yes, this one was alive. And she brings it into Pharaoh's house. And then very quickly the story progresses where Moses grows up. He then kills an Egyptian. He has a bounty on his head. And he has to leave and he goes to Midian. And then he approaches the burning bush. And then he is sent back. And then he tells Pharaoh that there's going to be a plague to come to Egypt after Pharaoh says that he will not let the Israelites go. And what is the first plague of the ten plagues? I'm testing you now. The first plague is... Dam, blood. The text tells us that all the waters of the Egyptians, the water that was in their water bottles, and the waters that were in their cisterns, and the water that was in their lakes, and the water that was in the river, it all turned to blood. And what should the Egyptians realize at that moment? What was being said to them? It was the blood of the children. that those dead murdered Israelite children, that they were not forgotten, that their blood was screaming from the earth, and that it was high time for the Egyptians to realize 
the horrible, horrible crime that they had committed and that it was time to stop it and let these people go. And instead of realizing that, what did Pharaoh say? No. Over and over again, he said no. And it was only until the tenth and final plague did Pharaoh finally relent and set the Israelites free. I think this story, and once again, these stories are not historical stories in the classic sense, but they are historical stories in the sense that they teach us lessons about life. And I think amongst many lessons, there are two important for us, two important ones for us to think about this morning. And if you wish to share it tonight at your Seder table, by all means. Number one, in the Jewish imagination, from the very beginnings of our story as a people, the casus belli, the red line of all moral crimes are those that involve children. And children are also, by the way, a metaphor for the helpless of the world. Anything that involves the manipulation and the suffering of children in the minds of the ancient rabbis was a red line in the mind of God that things had gone too far between human beings. In other words, leave your hands off the children. Centuries, thousands of years later, millennia later, the great rabbi, the altar of Slobodka, famously said that a person who does not have parents is an orphan, but a nation that does not have children is an orphan. And that is, this is part of the reason why at your Seder table last night and your Seder table tonight, front and forward will be the presence of children, reading the four questions, opening the door for Eliyahu and Navi for Elijah the prophet. Over and over again, the children are center stage in the story of Passover because this story would not exist if it wasn't for our children and by extension our future. But the second warning in this story is as follows. That bad things shouldn't happen, shouldn't have to happen to you in order for you to understand the suffering of other human beings. The Egyptians only realized what they had done, the horror of what they had committed when it happened to them. But that is not the construction of a meaningful human life. Bad things do not have to happen to us. Bad things should not have to happen to us in order for us to become depthful, understanding, compassionate, empathic human beings. We should be able to understand the suffering of other humans without it having happened to us. You should be able to walk by a human being who is homeless and feel their pain even though you're going home to a, back to a home that has a roof and windows and heating and air conditioning. You shouldn't have to go bankrupt to feel the pain of someone who has no money. You shouldn't have to lose someone you love to understand what it's like to lose someone you love. And the failure of Egypt was 
that they had no understanding, no acceptance of what it was like to suffer until it happened to them. As Golda Meir once famously said, that we could forgive the Arabs for murdering our children, but we could never forgive them for making us kill their children. And that the story repeats itself over and over again. The call on Pesach is to hear these lessons, understand the values they teach, so that we can become better for it. The point of it all is to become better human beings. Chag Sameach, everyone.